0: Um, with that being said, we know a little bit of the news. We know what happened last week. There was a mass shooting in Las Vegas. Um, we do not know what the motive was for this shooting. Right now, they're just the information is not there. This is kind of strange because in most cases like this, we get a motive relatively quickly. Right now, we do not have a motive. Information has not been released. So I think it's a little um, premature to come to any major conclusions. But if you would just join me right now um, just to pray for those families. We actually had, um, I believe there were two people from Buena Park that were killed um, in that shooting. Um, I, you know, I, I sometimes go to a donut shop down the street. And um, I talked with the, the owner there. Uh, two of her, um, or excuse me, some of her, her customers had relatives that were killed in the shooting. So right now, would you just join me in prayer? Father, we just come in, in, in prayer, Lord God, on behalf of our nation, Lord God. And Father, for those families um, who have loved ones who were killed or wounded in Las Vegas last week. My Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would come as the comforter of Holy Spirit that you would reveal yourself to them, Lord, that you would comfort them, Lord, in this time of crisis. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would provide for them, Lord, that you would um, reveal yourself in a great way. We pray that this tragedy, Father, would be used to bring blessing to the lives of these families. Lord, that's what you do. You cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you. So, Father, we're asking that you would use this tragedy to be a door of great blessing. You would take what the enemy meant for evil, and you would turn it to good, O God. And we pray for our nation, Lord God, that you would bring revival in America, Lord God, that you would turn back the tide of immorality, Father, and that you would bring healing and reconciliation to our nation. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you would um, open up your Bibles right now to Philippians chapter 1. We are in the middle of a series on loving one another. Last week we spoke about how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And that if we remain in Him, we will bear much fruit. And the commandment that He gave us to remain in Him is that we would love one another. And then if we do so, then what happens is we become healthy. We become healthy, and there's a, a reproductive element to true spiritual health. Spiritual health reproduces spiritual health. When we're spiritually healthy, what happens is we begin to influence other people in such a way that makes them spiritually healthy. When we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, and patience, and all the rest... We exude those fruits of the Spirit to the people around us. We multiply. This is part of what it means um, to be part of the vine of Christ. And so today we're going to be following up on this aspect of loving one another. This is going to be the overarching theme for our our entire series. And today we're going to be talking about this command to also give thanks for one another. Give thanks for one another. So if you have found Philippians... Chapter one. Well, before we read this, I actually want to want to say a little bit about, about giving thanks in particular. I want to say this: giving thanks, learning to give thanks is one of the greatest breakthroughs and blessings of my life. It is the most glorious thing. In fact, your life could be exactly the same, but the person who knows how to give thanks is filled with joy. I remember when I was in high school, I was a high school student, and in my church, we did an exercise. It was the very first time in my life where I tried to prophesy. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, what they did was they got me, and they turned me around, and there was a group of about 20 students, and they said, Dennis, we're going to pray that God would speak to you and give you a word, and we're going to pick a person at random, and you're going to get a word for this person. Okay? This, is kind of a, this is a prophetic training exercise. I had never done this in my life. And so I was like kind of freaking out. I was like, <laughs> all right, Lord, <laughs> give me something. <laughs> you know? and, um, and, and I did get something. I In my imagination, I saw like a cartoon. And in this cartoon, there was a girl, and this girl was so sad in this cartoon in my mind. In fact, I remember the scene. I still remember it. It was a beautiful scene. There were, there were, like, blue skies. There were birds, right? It was beautiful. There was, like, sunshine in the cartoon, but right over this girl's head, there was a rain cloud, and it was just raining right on her, right? Right? <laughs> Like, everything's wonderful, but she's just got this rain cloud over her head. And this is what I saw in my imagination um, when we prayed. And immediately, I knew exactly who it was for. <laughs> but I was afraid. <laughs> and I and I said, you know, I just feel like it's, the Lord wants to say um, to this girl that, you're so blessed, and you live in such an environment of blessing and love, and yet you struggle with depression because you feel like it's always just raining on you, right? And, um, and I said that, but I was afraid to say who it was because I was afraid if I was wrong, right, then this person's going to feel like, oh, Dennis thinks I'm always depressed or something like that. Um, so I, I remember that specifically, and it turned out that that word was for that, that girl, Um, And it was a good word. It was a good word for her. And that was my first ever experience prophesying. That was my first ever experience. And since then, um, I've had lots of wonderful experiences um, with the prophetic word, with God speaking. Um, But I, I highlight this episode because really, this in a picture, it really portrays what giving thanks is all about. When we have the discipline of giving thanks, when it becomes part of who we are, what happens is we begin to see and recognize all the blessings in our life. Giving thanks is like taking a spiritual magnifying glass and putting it over all of the great blessings. And you're like, oh, yeah, it is sunny, right? Oh, yeah, the skies are blue. Oh, yeah, I forgot about, this blessing or the blessing that I knew that it was there, I started to take it for granted. But all of a sudden, as I'm giving thanks for it, what happens is it starts to enlarge and get bigger in our hearts. And if you make it a discipline, then what happens is you feel like your entire life is blessed. It's not that things need to radically change. It doesn't mean that the difficult people in your life aren't there anymore Or that the difficult circumstances in your life aren't there anymore. All of those things are still there. But what happens is you have such a consciousness, a mental consciousness of all of the great blessings in your life that you feel like your life is blessed. And, you know, David talks about this dynamic in, in, you know, one of my favorite Psalms in Psalm 23 right at the end. He says this, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with this psalm, that's the one where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He talks about how the Lord brings him to green pastures and to quiet waters. He leads him on the paths of righteousness. He overflows his cup. He sets a banqueting table before him in the presence of his enemies. Though he walks through the valley of shadow at death, he fears no evil. What's he doing this whole time? He's recounting all the blessings, all the ways that God has blessed him in his life. And how does he finish the psalm? And he says this, surely Goodness and mercy will follow after me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? This is the pattern of what it means to give thanks. When you develop it as a discipline in your life, what happens is you become constantly encouraged. You become constantly encouraged. It's not that the small things disappear. Excuse me. It's not that the bad things disappear. It's just that they grow so much smaller in your mind's eye. I had another prophetic vision when I was in college. I went to um, a school called Berkeley up north. And I'll just tell you, if you're from Southern California and you go to Berkeley, how many of you guys have ever been to that city? That city is crazy, right? There's crazy people, literally crazy people all over the place, right? There's, you know, there's, you know, people yelling at you for all sorts of random things. We, there's a place called Top Dog. Any of you guys ever been to Top Dog? It's like this hot dog place. You know, we used to call them the Top Dog Nazi because if you didn't have your order ready, right? He would get mad at you. You, know, you guys ever watch Seinfeld? Nobody. Watch. This is too old. Yeah, yeah, the super Nazi. That would have been glorious. You guys should watch Seinfeld. It's so fun. Uh, now I forgot my train of thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in Berkeley, and I was, I felt like I was in, I felt under siege. It just felt so different and so uncomfortable. I was from San Diego. I was used to my suburban life and having, you know, my own room and privacy and all this kind of stuff. And I remember just being up in Berkeley and just feeling like, God, I feel like there's so many hardships, so many difficulties. I like my first paper I ever got back in college, I got a D on it. My GSI had crossed out entire paragraphs of my essay. And just in the margins, he wrote BS. I remember looking at this paper and be like, what am I to do, right? I, I can't do this. I just remember feeling like it was too difficult, like it was too hard. And as I was praying into this, I had another prophetic vision. And in this vision, I was on the path of life. I was on this road. I was on this journey. And I was looking in front of me, and there was this giant log. I mean, like from a monstrous tree, right? This monstrous tree had fallen over into my path. And I understood I like couldn't get past this giant log that was blocking my path. And I'm like, God, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like I can't do this. This is too hard. It's too difficult. And then in my vision, what happens is the camera starts to retract. It starts to pan out. And I see myself And I'm lying in the road with my eye to the ground. And there's this little branch that's in front of me in my vision. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, the problem, Dennis, is not the problems. The problem is your perspective. Right? And he spoke to me and I realized the problem wasn't all the bad stuff, all the hardships. That wasn't the problem. The problem was my perspective. I didn't have his perspective. And giving thanks is the way to get his perspective. It really is. Why? Because this is the truth. You are far more blessed than you are cursed. You're far more blessed. All of us are tempted all the time to believe the lie that we are cursed. Right? That there's a cosmic judge out there who's constantly has it out for us, right? That every bad thing in our life is because God said, now I'm getting you back, right? Every person in our life who does something we don't like is evidence, right? That God has not blessed us, right? And we're on our own. But it's a matter of perspective, And when we start to give thanks, when we make it a core discipline of our lives, what starts to happen is we start to have confidence that we're blessed. We start to have confidence that God is with us. We start to have confidence not only because he's been with us, but if he's been with us, that means he'll be with me going into the future, right? David was confident when he came up against Goliath. Why? Because God had come through for him in the past. Right, God had come through. He talks to Saul. He says, Saul, you don't understand. When a lion came against me, I ripped its face off. (laughs) He remembers these times where God came upon him. And so that's why he looks at the giant of his present, and he's not intimidated. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this. We must become a people who knows how to build up our faith. You must become a person who knows how to build up your faith. All of our faith wavers at times. That's true for all of us. Scripture says that a righteous man falls down seven times. You get knocked down. If you're trying to follow God, if you're trying to walk in faith, you will get knocked down. You will fall into temptation. You will become deceived at times. You will get tricked. All sorts of stuff will happen to you. But then you got to get back up. But then you get back up. And then you have to rebuild your faith. And that's what giving thanks is all about. Giving thanks is rebuilding your faith. It's remembering the faithfulness of God. It's remembering what he's done. It's remembering all the blessings that you're enjoying right now, but you forgot that God gave them to you. You started to take them all for granted. Once upon a time, it was a great testimony in your life how God provided this amazing car for you. And now you're like, I hate this stupid car. Can I tell you, I give thanks for my car all the time. I bless my car. I pray for it. I prophesy over my car. Now, a lot of that's just joking. I'm not like, you know, super serious about those prophecies. But a little bit, you know, a little bit. But learning to have this as a discipline is so important to the Christian life. I want to encourage you as we go into this. What we're going to be talking about today is how we give thanks for one another. Do you know that the people around you are incredible blessings to you? They're incredible opportunities of blessing. Let me put it to you this way. There is a treasure inside every single person around you. If there wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have died for them. But he did die. What's the idea there? Because he knows our real value. Right? He knows our true value. So valuable that the father was willing to give his only begotten son. Right? So that we could be with him in eternity. That wasn't because we had no value. No, it's because he saw the value with which he made us. Right? God knows our value. And when we tap in to the understanding, to God's perspective of one another, what starts to happen is we start to have the most amazing love and value for one another. Amen? Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about the church at Philippi. And if you know, if you're familiar with his letters to the churches, Paul really likes the church at Philippi. He really likes them. They've done a good job. They've been really faithful. And this is what he says in chapter 1 of Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. Here's where we get this amazing picture that Paul had a deep and enduring affection for the Christians, for the church that was around him. Can I say something about those Christians? They were not as mature as Paul was, for the most part. And by the way, let's look a little bit at this person, Paul. No matter how you measure it, Paul has to be one of the most important people that ever lived in the history of the world. Very clearly, he's one of the most influential. You know, if you're going to go by secular standards, Paul is probably the most responsible person for the development of Western culture, right? So we live in Western culture, even though some of us are, you know, from a more Eastern culture background. But the reality is Paul has been incredibly influential in all of our lives, but not just our lives. All the people we see around us, Paul has had an incredible influence on them. One of the most important people that ever lived, but that wasn't it. Paul also was one of the most powerful people that ever lived, right? If you believe the scriptures, this guy healed the sick. This guy foretold the future. This guy wielded incredible miraculous powers. This is Paul, right? He was considered one of the primary leaders of, in the early church he had an incredible encounter with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus where Jesus met with him and commissioned him as an apostle as a leader in the in the early church can I, let me put it just say like, Paul had every reason to be proud Paul had every reason to be like why should I have so much love and affection for you when I'm so important and you're so insignificant? We don't see much of that. How is that possible? How can Paul, in this, this incredibly important, powerful individual, have this incredible love and affection? For these Christians who, if you know, we believe his letters, had all sorts of problems. These Christians had all sorts of problems. They struggled with all sorts of sin. Even the church at Philippi, there was infighting and there was division amongst its leaders. And if you look at his letters to the church in Corinth, they had all kinds of crazy problems. All kinds of sin issues. And yet what we see throughout his letters is that Paul has this incredible affection and appreciation Right? If you look in, in, this, in this passage of Philippians, he says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm partner with you. You ever been in a partnership where you felt like you were doing all the work? Right? You ever signed up for that joint Project at school with that one guy who don't do nothing, right? That one guy who's just expecting you to do all the work. In some ways, that's kind of like what Paul was going through, right? Now, we don't know this for sure. I'm sure that many of the other Christians bore fruit, but it's hard to believe that they were anywhere in the vicinity of Paul's influence, if you know what I mean right? This guy was walking revival. Everywhere he went, revival came, right? And yet, look at this perspective. He says, I'm so thankful because I get to work with you. I'm so thankful that we're partners together in this joint mission. Paul was only able to do this because he had an incredible humility to him. Brothers and sisters, the number one thing that will block our ability to give thanks, to be genuinely thankful for those around us, is our pride, is our pride. Our pride makes it impossible to love those around you. You cannot love people when you are so full of yourself. Not possible. What pride does is it makes you notice every weakness of the people around you. You hone right in on it, right? You're an expert on everyone else's weaknesses, right? You're an expert on their sins, on their problems, on their immaturity. You see it all. You know all about all that kind of stuff, okay? Now, let me, let me say something. That in itself is not necessarily a bad or evil thing because guess what? God knows all your weaknesses, all your problems, all your sins. That in itself is not the problem. The problem is when you see their weaknesses so much more clearly than you see their strengths and their value. Am I making sense? Let me put it to you this way. When you feel like you have these amazing friends, right? These friends who are so amazing, you feel incredibly blessed. You might have the exact same friends as me, and you might be like, these friends suck. (laughs) Question, where's the problem? Is the problem all the other people around you? Not usually. Not usually. What's my point? My point is this. Jesus was able to love everyone. Right? Even the jacked up people. He still loved them. But a lot of times we have the expectation that other people need to earn our love in some way. Need to be worthy of our affection. Worthy of our friendship. They're not good enough. They have too many issues. Brothers and sisters. What you need to do, if that's you, is say, God, I'm the one with the problem. I tell you, it's so freeing. You think I'm talking to you? No, I'm talking to me. I'm the one with the problem. I'm the one with the problem, God. Oh, if I was like you, then I'd be able to love Everyone, right? Every single person I would feel such an incredible affection for. I would want to be around all the time. Brothers and sisters, I'm not pointing out any one of you. I'm pointing out every one of us. All of us struggle with pride, and it's the pride in our hearts that keeps us from being able to value others in a great way. And the most important thing that we can do is point the finger at ourselves, not in a condemning way, because if you're in Christ Jesus, this too is a sin that you can be forgiven of. The way it works in Christianity is not that you get to a place where you never sin anymore. Okay, That doesn't exist. It's that you become so comfortable with the process where God convicts you of sin and you go, God, you found another one, right? You found another weakness to set me free of God, right? I remember, I remember I had this revelation once where I realized that every time God pointed out a sin issue issue in my life, it was because he wanted to fix it, and I started to get excited about it, right? Every time I feel like he'd open my eyes to another weakness, I'd be like, yes, yes, take care of that one too, God, yes, yes. I need your help in this area also. Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of the eye of God. Long for it as discipline, right? We should be eagerly desiring his discipline. Why? Because it's not like the enemy accuses us. When the enemy of our souls accuses us, it's accusation without grace to change, right? It's like you're stuck there and you suck, right? That's how the devil does rebuke, okay? The way that God does rebuke is, see, you have this problem, and if you'll give it to me, I'll change you, right? If you trust me with this problem, I'll change you. And as Christians, what happens is we become so comfortable with this process of change. I'm not going to be the same a year from today as I am now, right? I'm not going to be the same. Why? Because I have a God who's actively involved in sanctifying my character, in changing me, conforming me to the image of Christ to be like him, right? This is the process that we're going through. So when we talk about some of these issues that we have, don't get defensive, right? The defensiveness, hint, hint, is your pride, How many of you guys know humility is almost always the first work that the Spirit of God has to do within us to, to begin the work of change in our hearts and in our lives? If we say no to the voice of humility, then we stop it in its tracks. When God says, hey, I need to change this, and you say, I don't need help there, God. I'm good. Right? And guess what? God tends to respect our decisions. He says, okay, why don't you take a couple trips around the mountain? I want to take a couple, <laughs> couple laps in the desert. We all go through desert seasons. Desert seasons are important. They're good, too. You know what the best thing to do during your desert season is? That's when you give thanks for everything. Right? Thank you, God. Another patch of sand. It's a beautiful patch of sand, God. I'm thankful for it right? The the wilderness is where God is humbling us and teaching us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the desert season, in the wilderness place, that's where we, we realize, oh my gosh, I was an idiot. Oh, I was foolish, right? See, the problem wasn't that you were foolish. The problem was that you wouldn't admit that you were foolish. Does that make sense? Because you've only just begun to discover how foolish you are. You're far more foolish than you realize right now. The problem is that you were fighting it so much. Right? But if you just go, I am foolish, God. I am foolish. And you love me just as I am. Right? I am foolish. I do have these problems. I do have these weaknesses. But God, you love me just as I am. And I know that you're showing these to me because you want to do something in my life. If we come with that mentality, then guess what? God transforms us. I have good news for you today. If you struggle with pride, God has humility for you today. He has humility for you today. Humility is the most wonderful blessing ever. You stop needing to have to prove yourself to people, right? You stop needing to show, impress people because you realize they don't know jack squad either. (laughs) Their opinion is dumb. It's not a judgmental thing. It's because you realize your opinion was dumb. (laughs) Humility is so great because you start, you recognize that there's only one, there's only one who's able to rightly judge in all circumstances. And if you trust his judgments, he won't let you down, right? That's the hope that we have. And that's the hope. Guess what? Paul went through his own humbling experience. Paul was convinced Right? He knew exactly what the scripture said. He knew exactly what God wants. And God hated Jesus, or so he thought. And Paul had to go through his own experience where God humbled him. And, you know, if you're familiar with what happens, Paul doesn't just get humbled and then get back up. He actually goes away, right? He goes you know, to a mountain probably or a desert mountain for three years or something like that because his mind is so blown. You ever had your mind so blown that you had to get away to re- to process and to formulate this brand new revelation, right? Paul's was like 10 times whatever yours was. Okay. This guy had to go away so that God could reform his mind in the context of humility, right? Brothers and sisters, God is humbling us to bless us because he wants to bless us, right? That's, that's our desire, right? Now, I want to say something about, you know, one of the fruits of pride is that you can tell because you're complaining all the time. <laughs> right? One of the fruits of pride is that we complain, right? What is complaint? Complaint is giving voice to all the weaknesses and errors and flaws that we see, right? You're giving voice to them. You're saying, see, you're you're becoming a pride evangelist, right? Look at all those weaknesses that person has that I have to deal with all the time. And the other person, sometimes they go, yeah, yeah. What's happening? You're spreading your pride, right? How special of you, right? How special, right? Complaint is the voice of powerlessness. It says, I can't love unless this person changes, right? All the power is in their hands, right? All the power is, is in their hands, right? We complain about our parents. Oh, they do this and they do that and they never let me go here. And what's, what am I saying? I'm saying that my happiness, my joy is dependent on them changing in the ways that I want them to. Right? We're saying that they're the ones who are responsible for the way that I feel. Newsflash! You're responsible for your feelings! Paul's in jail writing this. (laughs) He's in jail, and he's happy. You know what happened when they threw Paul in jail? He started to convert all the guards. Dude, that's so glorious. God, give me faith like that, right? What's the point? The point is, the issue is not all the weaknesses and flaws in the people around you. The issue is your own lack of maturity, such that all of their flaws and weaknesses are affecting you in such negative ways. Yeah. Am I making sense? There's a difference, by the way, between talking with somebody and saying, Hey, I'm really struggling with this person. Okay? I'm struggling. And I need to talk with you about it because I need wisdom. That's good. That's healthy. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about complaining. Okay? Complaining is I'm not looking for help. I'm looking for somebody to affirm my opinions, my negative opinions of those people. Right? That's complaining. Right? What that does is it reinforces your pride. It reinforces your pride. It's the opposite of of giving thanks. Right? Right? You're not giving thanks for all the wonderful ways that this person is blessing you. No. You're complaining about all their problems and flaws and weaknesses, and you're hardening your heart against them. Am I making sense? To the degree that we complain, we can see the pride within us. Lastly on this issue, unhealed wounds. Unhealed wounds in our own heart. Make us sensitive yeah. to the weaknesses of others. This is, this is such a huge one. I want to encourage you. If you know that you have unhealed wounds in your heart, welcome to the club. Okay? If you don't have any unhealed wounds, newsflash. <laughs> what this means is that you have no idea why you keep getting hurt, right? Why you keep getting offended. Okay. If, you, if, this is, if this is brand new for you, I want to encourage you to come to our Ignite conference. We do an entire seminar on inner healing in particular, where we go over a lot of these issues in depth. But today, I'm really going to focus in on this dynamic of giving thanks, especially for our family members. Okay, our family members. This, let, me, let me say this. This is one of the most important things that you can do as a college-aged person, as a young adult, One of the most important things that you can do is give thanks for your family. Is to overcome the hurts, the complaints, the weaknesses that you see in your family members. Let me put it to you another way. If you do not overcome these complaints and hurts in your heart, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to carry it in to your new family when you one day get married. Those things are going to be part of your next family too, right? But if you win the battle now, if you learn to love your parents just as they are, not saying that they have to change in any dramatic way, saying that, God, you can transform me in such a way that I can be overflowing with love towards them. And if you win that battle, I'll tell you, you will be bringing freedom and grace into your family. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, if you still struggle with wounds towards your parents, which I got to say is probably all of us to some degree, I want to encourage you, let this be the season where you contend for real breakthrough. Let this be the season where you contend for real breakthrough, because you have to overcome it. It's not enough to say, well, I'm just going to move out, and then I'll be away from them, and then whatever, I won't have to deal with it. No, 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 no. Give thanks. Thanks that you are confronted by these wonderful provocations that provoke your weaknesses, that provoke your insecurities. Why? Because every single time is an opportunity for growth. A lot of times we insulate ourselves from things that will hurt us and provoke our weaknesses, and what we do is we condemn ourselves to immaturity because we're just saying no to everything that threatens our security. It's not because we don't have problems. It's just we're unwilling to deal with them. But in the place where you are right now, if you say, God, I need you to give me grace to overcome these difficulties in my family. I need your grace. Scripture is clear. God gives grace to the humble. God promises grace. That if you ask for his help in that spirit, in that way, that he will provide help for you. You can be at a place where you are overflowing with love even for your parents. Even when they say those things that drive you crazy, you can be healed in such a way and and have amazing love and affection for them. That is possible. Is it possible? impossible in your own strength. Absolutely. You can't do it on your own. I'm not talking about the dynamic where your parent says something and you get so mad inside and you want to kill them and you don't kill them. Okay. For some of us, that's the extent, that's our vision of what a great Christian is, right? You just don't do all the bad things you want to do. I want to say that is a step in the right direction. Okay. Okay. That's, a, that's getting there, right? That's the idea. But that's just the beginning. No, 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 no. We're talking about a transformed heart. We're talking about transformed character. We're talking about God radically changing you so that you can love like he loves. That's what we're after. And that takes an intimate walk with God, right? That takes seeking him in such a way That he actually speaks to you, gives you real revelation, and where your heart is really changed. Okay, there's not a formula. I can't say, you know, go up on the mountain and, you know, do like 500 Hail Marys or something like that, you know. (laughs) I can't give you a formula like that. Why? Because this is a journey with the Holy Spirit, right? He's the guide who guides us into all truth. We have to become sensitive to the unctions of the Holy Spirit because I'll tell you how you are transformed. It's a really simple formula. It's not easy. It's simple, right? It's you hear God, you obey God. It's pretty simple. But sometimes it's hard, right? But sometimes it's hard. It absolutely will test our faith. So question, practically speaking, how can we become more thankful, okay? How can we become more thankful in our lives? Number one, <clears throat> you must recognize how thankful God is for you. There's a story in scripture of an immature little brat. Newsflash, this is you, okay? Okay? There's a story in the Bible about an immature little brat, right, who says, one day, I don't want to live with this dumb family, right? I don't like this family. I just want my dad's money, right? So he goes to his dad. He says, dad, I want my inheritance now, right? Now, to really understand what that means in that day, that was super disrespectful. It's still disrespectful, (laughs) right? If you go to your dad and say, you know, dad, I know one day you're going to pass away, and then I'm going to get all your money, let's just pretend that that day was today. (laughs) That's pretty jacked up, right? That's what this guy does, right? He goes, dad, just give me the money now, and I'm good. And the dad does it, which is pretty amazing. And the little brat takes the money and it says that he spends it on lavish living, right? He wastes it all. He goes to Vegas. He does all sorts of stupid things. Newsflash. Of course he was going to do that because he's dumb, okay? Guess what would happen if God gave you all the things you asked him for? Would you be really faithful with all of them? Because you realize at the judgment he's going to judge how you steward every blessing you are given. So sometimes he doesn't give you things for your sake. He's trying to protect you from the judgment that will come in the future because you do not have the wisdom to steward such a gift. Am I making sense? But it says this, that the little brat comes to his senses when he's in poverty and he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot, right? And he says, but my... Dad's servants live so much better than I'm living right now, so I'm going to go back. And he goes back to his dad, and this is what he says. In Luke chapter 15, it should be on the board here. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Brothers and sisters, this is me. This is me. I was the brat. I was the one who wasted All the blessings that God had given me. I did not realize how blessed I was until one day He opened my eyes to see. He opened my eyes to see how great the blessing that He gave me. And this is the blessing. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the blessing. And I want to say this, no matter where you've been or what you've done, God's love is here for you today. That his heart is here for you today. That he is eager to show mercy. This is the God we serve. He's eager to show mercy. That if will admit our foolishness, will admit our sinful actions, will not try and hide it away or say, no, I'm not that bad, or no, I don't have all those problems. If we admit it and go, yes, God, I've made a mess of my life. Or we say, God, I want your forgiveness, and I'll believe in your son. He promises that he'll give us mercy and welcome us into the family. And look at Look at the joy of the father, all the sins, the foolishness, the offensive actions that we have done. He lays it all aside and he says, bring the fattened calf. It's time to party. All of those things are forgiven. We don't need to talk about them anymore. This is the God that we serve. Brothers and sisters, you can make that decision today. If you don't follow Jesus, but you want to, I pray that You would say yes to the Father who loves you. And if you've been walking with God for a while, but maybe you've forgotten how passionate He is for you, that you keep feeling like He's mad about all the little ways that you stumble and fall, I want to say this No, His mercy is amazing, and His passion for you is the same. Brothers and sisters, we can come just as we are and we can receive his love because what we cannot do is try to live up to his commandments without the revelation of his goodness and love towards us. That's where you become a Pharisee. That's when you become a slave master, when you're constantly trying to do all these things that you feel like God's telling you to do. But you don't feel any love or affection from his heart. But you've forgotten the intimacy and the grace and the mercy. Brothers and sisters, the first thing that we have to do is we have to draw near to God and let him minister to us. And if you've been far from God, make a decision today. God, I want to come back to you. I want to be close to you. Amen? What's up, brother? Number two, to grow in giving thanks. We need to ask God to open our eyes to the value and the strengths of others. This You have to ask him for it. You have to say, God, help me love these people. Open my eyes. Spend time in prayer and allow God to speak to you. The biggest problem is people talk to God, but they don't give him any time to talk back. It's like, God, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. See you, God. Go watch Netflix for a while. (laughs) Take some time. Learn to abide in the presence of the Lord. Learn to stay in the place of worship. One of the most damaging aspects of our culture is we're so it's like we have to move constantly. Like you've scheduled every moment of your life, and you're gonna be late, and you make no room to actually hear what God wants to say to you. Right? No, make time for revelation. Make time for it. I'm not saying that you have to get a crazy prophetic vision every single time. If you, you'll be disappointed if that's your expectation. I'm not saying that you ask me every single time. But you have to create opportunities for God to speak to you. And if you've never heard the voice of God, you don't know how to do that, come to our Ignite conference because we do an entire <laughs> seminar, practically speaking, on how to hear the voice of God. Number three, give thanks for the weaknesses in others. If there's one thing you take away practically today, make it this. Start to give thanks for the people in your life that drive you crazy. Okay, those people are the treasure that can transform your character in this season. It's like a locked treasure. And if you go, God... I need your grace to love that person. I'm going to try with all of my heart, but I recognize I need your grace. What happens is you give God a faith that he'll respond to. You have to give God a faith that he'll respond to. I always tell people it's a good sign when you start to become afraid that God may not do what you want him to do. That's a good sign because it shows that there's real hope and real faith and real expectation. If you have no expectation that God's going to show up or do anything, guess what? He probably ain't going to do nothing. Faith is the thing that opens and activates the kingdom in your life. You have to believe that God can do it right now. Picture somebody in your life that drives you crazy. Picture them in your mind right now. Now my question, do you believe that God can so transform you that you can love that person? Not just a little bit, a lot. And if your answer is no, if you're being honest, let's be honest. I want to challenge you. Be like that man who said, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, that's the mentality. The problem is not that God can't do it. The problem is I don't have the faith to receive it. Come with that kind of heart. God, increase my faith. Because you need that kind of faith to be radically transformed. Hear me. I'm preaching to you right now. You must change in this season. It is not okay for you to stay the same. It's not okay for you to be the same person a year from today that you are right now. What it means is that your faith is not being provoked. No. Say, God, I must have you, Lord. I must have your blessing. I must be transformed. God, why? Why must you do this? Because God has a calling for you. It's designed specifically for you. All the blessings that he has, look, they are for you because he loves you and wants to bless your life. But it's so much more than that. It's to make you a mature ambassador of the gospel to others. So that you can effectively minister to those around you. See, hold that kind of heart because what I always do is I always go, God, I'm your problem. Right? You told me to be a pastor. You told me to love these people. And I can't do it. I tell them that all the time, by the way. (laughs) I'm terrible at this, God. So you've got to change me. I put the burden on him. I say, God, I need you to change me. And I cry out to the Lord. Look, in our Christian culture, a lot of times we forget how to cry out to the Lord. I try and cry out to the Lord at least once a week. Like, God, if you could just bless me so I can love those people. That's not crying out to the Lord, right? If you could just, you know, change me a little bit. That's not crying out to the Lord. I want to encourage you. you, Your spiritual life with God should be dynamic. Okay? You should have times where it's like, oh, I just love being in his presence. And you should have times where you're contending and crying out for the presence and the grace of God in your life. Am I making sense? Give thanks to God for those hardships in your life. James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. This is his promise. God is telling you, I will help you. If you're serious about it, I will help you. Am I making sense? Worship team, come on up right now. We're going to come and contend in the place of prayer right now because I'm believing that God wants to give us a, a fresh grace. And I'm, I heard specifically before this service today, family matters. Family matters. God, I want you to have a vision in your heart You are the one that God is sending into your family to bring radical transformation to them, but you must love them first. But you must love them first, brothers and sisters. God wants to radically transform the way that we see and view our family members, not like they're the thorns in our side, but like they're the greatest opportunity. They are the tool that God is using to provoke me to maturity. Amen? Let's stand up right now.